Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Arsblog 20 podcast series in which we celebrate 20 years of Arsblog by talking to a guest about a calendar year of the site's existence between 2002 and 2022. We have got all the way to 2016 and with me to talk about that year from the Arsenal Vision podcast, it's Paul. Hello, Paul. Woohoo! Hello there. <laughs> it's a typical Irish greeting. People don't know that, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So... 2016 was certainly an eventful year for Arsenal. Where would you like to start this conversation? Well, I kind of took 2016 as kind of inhabiting Arsene Wenger's body, taking it over from the previous calendar year of 2015 and seeing what state they had left my my squad and my team. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's January 1st. I'm feeling pretty good. We're two points ahead in the league. Um. We've had a good run-in for 2015. Thank you very much, previous karmic Arsene Wenger. Unfortunately, uh, it seems to have knocked some of the stuffing out of us. We've lost Santi Cazorla, which is very much a team for me in 2016. And um, it seems, looking back on the second half of the season, we sorely miss him. So we're two points up. Things are good, but we've a sticky... January, in terms of games, mm. Feb- February ain't great. Uh, but we get a chance to pull things back. Leicester are on a run, keep beating everybody 1-0. Jamie, Pe- Jamie Vardy penalties or uh, doing that run he does late on in the game when they've stifled everybody. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we're we're just about hanging in there. Um, Ozil's used up all his assists in the first Arsene Wenger half of the year. Thank you very much. And Giroud's used up most of his goals. Uh, Ozil's on his way to, to getting 19 assists, but he gets 16 basically in the first half of the season. Thank you. Um, Giroud ends up with 16 goals, which is reasonable. Uh, but he does most of that kind of in the first half of the season and three in the final game of the season, which doesn't do us a lot of good. Mm. So I don't have a lot to work with here. And we're just like bumping along. Okay. Um, uh, Leicester looks like the team that's going to pull away from us. And then we get to the Leicester game. So that's, that's a key turning point in this season as we perceive at the time. Right. And a lot of tension. Uh, a lot of if we can managed to pull them back on this one 
this could turn the season and yeah. it probably could probably could and you know it was a uh, it's one of those games which produced uh, an Emirates stadium moment which uh, not that it's unrivaled but it's one of those huge moments where the energy inside the stadium was was just incredible i was there for that game i remember it really really well um leicester had gone ahead they went down to 10 men uh, we scored a goal with Theo Walcott. There was all kinds of mayhem going on in their box. And then we got that late free kick. And Danny Welbeck had been out for some time. He'd been out. He'd just only come back from an injury, I think. I can't remember if it was his first appearance um, of the season or his first appearance in a little while. But between him and Mesut Ozil, they produced a moment which basically took the roof off. Yeah, um, and brought such tremendous. It, it was the climax of the game. There was tension. We were, were there was all sorts of aerial and other bombardments, mm. um, and it you just felt it might be coming, but you also felt it probably wasn't going to come, mm. and I mean, it did, yeah. and we went nuts. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly, and we did go nuts, and, and it, it provided uh, feelings that, like, okay, we could well go on and win the league here for the first time in, in quite some time. And just to put people in perspective through the, the league um, table at that point, that was um, match day 26, as they say, uh, yeah. in the Premier League uh, website. Leicester were top with 53 points. Tottenham were second on goal difference with 51 points. We had 51 points. Manchester City were behind on 47 points. And Manchester United were in fifth place on 41 points. And, you know, it's not quite as cut and dried as some people make it out that season. Like, there was still a lot to do. But having done what we needed to do against Leicester City to sort of undo it basically in the next game was extremely painful and that was the the Manchester United game at Old Trafford where we we um injected into life the career of Marcus Rashford if you remember yeah was that the 3-2 yeah 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 very very painful to a brother I mean when you think about it it's not the worst result in the world is it, it well it was at the time <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I know. But like, I look back on it and it's kind of what I'm struck by is like our results aren't totally terrible. They're just like kind of mediocre-ish. It's not like a total, complete and utter disaster. We just kind of like, eh. we yeah. there's draws when there could be wins. And like, so I have a theory. Because I think we we have this thing where we like we blame Giroud, which is fine, or you blame Ozil for not bang, banging in the assists and Giroud for not banging in the goals. Mm. And I just think when I look at our team, like we started off the season with a really good team. We've uh, we've the good Bellerin. He's got all his pace. He's he believes in his football. He's doing clever things. We got Nacho. We got uh, Kishelny. We got Mertesacker when he's fit and Paulista. And we've a really good, we've, uh, I think we pretty much match Leicester defensively that season. I think it's something like 36 goals or something like that. We have a really good defensive record, top top two in the league. Mm. Um, our midfield is Cox Orla. And I don't know about you, uh, I had to go back and have a look at a few games to, to remind myself. 
God, it's really good. I know that people have this thing about uh, it was all Gazorla and it's not Coquelin. And I, I liked Coquelin and I loved the stuff, his superpowers. Like there were plenty of things he wasn't very good at. But I actually think he was brilliant within uh, Cazorla and Coquelin. And there's like this thing in, in complex systems called emergent properties. When you take hydrogen and you take oxygen and you guess what they would form, you would never come up with water, uh, H2O. <laughs> And it's magical, mystical properties, doing all sorts of weird things. You cannot possibly, if you gave two scientists H and O and gave them all the data about it, they will never in a billion years work out what that would do when you combine it as H2O. And I think that's what happens with Cochrane. I think it's not just, oh, look, there's two molecules of hydrogen and one of oxygen, and the hydrogen's doing all the work here. Cazorla is brilliant. Like, he's going to be good with anybody, but, like, uh, Coquelin is his legs, which is fortunate because he turns out he's going to need some extra legs. And, like, he's brilliant. He's everywhere. He's Kante-esque. Now, without him, he's not. And, unfortunately, we then go into the random midfield generator once we we lose Cazorla uh, towards the end of November. Hmm. Um, I think, like, our record with Cazorla in the season is two points per game. Uh, with without him, it's much more like 1.3, 1.4 points per game. Yeah. And our midfields are Flamini, Ramsey, uh, Coquelin, Ramsey, Coquelin, El Neni, because we get El Neni yet. He's, we bring him in the winter of our discontent or the winter winter transfer of our discontent after we lose Coquelin. Yeah. We bring in El Neni. Uh, we have a bit of Ramsey mix, mixed in there. He loses a month, but nobody really manages to combine with anybody and it's this random mid like it's funny you get two games of each each combination and they can't find a midfield that does anything that but screen our defense basically yeah i mean the the post leicester game run is is really bad because in premier league terms there were two successive defeats um, where we lost to Swansea at home after losing to Manchester United. The Man United yeah, game was, was a very yeah. dispiriting game for me in particular. It was, yeah, I, I sort of have pinpointed that moment in my mind as where I I kind of accepted it was all done and dusted for Arsene Wenger, um, you know, in terms of his ability to to produce a title-winning team because... I think we should have capitalized on what was a very weak Manchester United side that day. And even though we were 3-2 down at one point, there was 25 minutes and injury time, and we just never looked like scoring again. But the run directly after the Leicester game was a 0-0 draw with Hull at home in the FA Cup. We lost 2-0 to Barcelona. We lost 3-2 to Manchester United. We lost 2-1 to Swansea. We drew 2-2 with Tottenham. Uh, which is like a loss, of course. Um, we beat Hull 4-0 in the FA Cup. Again, this was a replay after the 0-0. And then in the next game, just a couple of days later, we lost to Watford at home in the FA Cup, then went to Barcelona, 
and lost 3-1 despite Mohamed Elneny's incredible goal from distance. Uh, I was there that game. It was the wettest I've ever been in my life. It was horrendous. They made us walk into the, the new camp over this rickety bridge. I think they were trying to kill as many Arsenal fans as possible. Thankfully, I think everybody escaped with their lives. I've got no idea how in, in modern football you can just put a bit of scaffolding together and make thousands of people walk over it just for fun. So fuck Barcelona. Um but, and then at that point, like, it's one win in eight games in all competitions and whatever momentum we had, whatever chance of, of winning the title that there was, absolutely was gone. Well, well when you put it like that, um, yeah, it was a bad run. Um, <laughs> and, like, when you take the... Like, we knew we were toast at that stage, and mm. we were. We were totally out of it. And then... Tottenham starts to come on a surge. Yeah. Like, it was the worst of combinations, and that kind of became our fixation uh, as we knew we were, as things got more festering, especially at home in those games. It got very, very, very tetchy. Uh, it, it's like a, a marriage between Wenger and and the Emirates and the crowd where like when they stop arguing with each other, it was all kind of low-level sniping. Mm. Uh, when you stop arguing is when the trouble really starts and, like, there was just this kind of separation, this drift towards the long divorce beginning um, that, like, you could just feel this This was really bad. Yeah. Meanwhile, we got to watch Tottenham growing it- from strength to strength and putting the pressure on. And then they then they <laughs> imploded, which I think is something that, you know, uh, if we're going to be um, critical and look back at our failures, I think we have to just take a moment to enjoy the fact that um, in that game against um, Chelsea, they completely and utterly yeah. lost their heads. And I know for a fact, um, having, to spoke, having spoken to someone who was involved that day, well, not spoken, but been in contact with someone who was involved on the pitch that day, a former Arsenal player who might have spent some time in in Stamford Bridge. I, I think maybe he did anyway. But, uh, you know, as a former Arsenal player, watching them up close, losing their shit. And then, of course, there was the final day of the season when, was it, the, did Newcastle go down to 10 men? I think they did go down to 10 men. Yeah. And still beat Tottenham. 5-0 or 5-1 or something, which was 5-1. just yeah. incredible, which meant that we finished above them. Yeah, so, I don't know why they always show that Manchester United, Manchester City title-winning moment at the end of whatever that season was, 2013 or 2012. Oh, the Aguero one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this was the real deal. Uh, we're busy twatting Aston Villa. And like you can say... Yeah, but Aston Villa were going down. Well, Newcastle were going down too. Um, and uh, they beat them 5-1. And they the beat the Emirates, shit out of them. <laughs> yeah, and the Emirates are singing uh, Tottenham and Hotspur. It's happened again. And it's like, it was almost all worth it, mm. you know. And it was a great it was a great game as well because it, Santi Cazorla was back. And uh, Arteta and Rizitsky were on the bench. Uh, or in and around the bench. I don't know if Rizitsky was actually a sub. Per Mertesacker was there. There was a real kind of festive spirit going on. Arteta gets on at the end. Um, I think it's a Giroud hat trick. Mm. Uh, Arteta gets on for the last few minutes. 
actually hits a pretty good bloody strike against the crossbar, but goes in off the keeper. It was just like, it was kind of getting the silly season, but it was wonderful because you could luxuriate. There was a point at which it was obviously pretty touch and go. They were uh, Newcastle, I think, got the first goal. Yeah. Um, and then they were 2-1 up. And like a draw would have seen us, would have seen Tottenham ahead of us, I think, on goal difference. Um, and uh, <laughs> then they imploded. And it was just, you yeah. know, it was, it was su- sunny day. It was great. I mean, it's kind of crappy that that's your... Your, your second highlight of the season, but it yeah. does kind of bookend. You know, we bumped Leicester into action and they went on and beat everybody 1-0 with the Jamie Vardy penalty. Yeah. And we, as you pointed out, uh, just kind of slid into something well below mediocrity in the end. That was, that, that game against Aston Villa was, was Mikel Arteta's final game as an Arsenal player. Denied a goal, as you say, went down as a, a Mark oh, Bond yeah. own goal. Um but Not he, in our hearts. No. <laughs> but <laughs> he, he was really emotional, wasn't he, Arteta? Yeah. Um, I know that when we talk about it now and people question all kinds of things as they do about football managers and all that kind of stuff, his reaction to his Arsenal playing career coming to an end was really, really very emotional. He made a, a strong connection to the club in the five years that he was there. Uh, having arrived in 2011, he captained the club for a while. And like many of our captains, became captain, got injured and then couldn't play. It happened to Mertesacker. You know, it, it was a running theme. We should for use that while. more strategically. Yeah, there, there are a couple <laughs> of players. we want out of the line out. <laughs> um, but... You know, when you think about it now and you put it in the context of, you know, the fact he's manager now, uh, the fact that he is, um, you know, trying to to build something at the club that he believes is is worthy of the stature of Arsenal and all that kind of stuff. I think when you look back at that reaction, that connection and everything else that he, he seemed to have back then, it, maybe it shouldn't be a surprise that some of the the decisions he's taken, the actions he's taken that he feels are in the best interests of the club, um, you know, have have been, how will I say this? I mean, from the outside, there are certain things that we look at and we don't quite understand. But if you frame it within the context of, of what he feels about Arsenal, which I, I don't doubt that he really does, it, they may make a bit more sense. Yeah, I think he was always a guy who carried himself a little differently. Uh, and you'll often hear him, like you'll hear him talked about it at uh, Everton and Arsenal. He's held in high regard, but he always saw himself a little differently, carried himself a little differently. Mm. And like the, say what you like about him, he has standards. Um, and the challenge for us, as you said, is like we don't know all the stuff that goes into situations, and it comes down to do you trust the guy or not. Um, but what you can't doubt is that uh, I guess the thing I feel about him is he's a very ambitious guy, and there's two sides to that. We don't mm. we don't like the word ambition, but you kind of need it. And when our ownership is such that we question where they stand and their ambition, but at other times you could say, do they really care? Mm. And I guess my feeling has always been with Arteta is. He's ambitious for himself, his club, everything he's associated with. You know, you know, in school, like I would address like a bit of a slob, but there'd always be some fella in the class who always looks sparkling, 
like he was going off to the Oxford debates or maybe he's wearing a dicky bow and you're like, what a twat. But he's a, he's always immaculate. His stuff is always good. You know, like mm. there's always somebody who has a view of himself that's kind of immaculate. And in the end, you say, oh, OK, I, I kind of get it now. I was young. I was immature. I was foolish. Maybe he was the smart one. Yeah, maybe and I kind of so. think Arteta was the guy in that group that you say, oh, OK. You have the uh, Santi when he joined the club, I think it was like 2012, 13 or something like that talking about how blown away he was, how respected Arteta was by everybody. Mm. Um, and I think he just carries himself differently and has, even as a player has seen himself differently. And hopefully, we like, you mm. want him to be good and to execute and to be competent. But if he can do all of that, I think he has ambition and he doesn't see himself for ordinariness. Right, so the season's over. And mm. ahead lies a summer when Arsenal fans are looking for the squad to be strengthened, and not in a small way either. We're we're after central defender, we're after a striker. Um, early in the summer, we announce Granite Xhaka. I think it was in May. It was one of those where the transfer window mm. hadn't even opened. It was one of those where when the transfer window opens, Granite Xhaka will be an Arsenal player. It was all signed, sealed. And delivered, but there were some other um, some other things that went on that summer that I think we should talk about. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, there was the whole Jamie Vardy situation, right? Yeah, I think you're alluding to, and it was very much Jamie Vardy's year. I mean, they won a lot of one zeros, and Jamie Vardy was the reason why. So there we are. We're off pursuing him. He's off with England. And uh, he's all hot to trot, goes off with the English team, and then the phone line goes a little quiet. Mm. Decides he needs time um, at the, it's the Euros, isn't it? Euro 2016, yeah. Yeah. Needs time at the Euros to focus on the team, but also it just goes very, very quiet. Like if it should have been a slam dunk in some ways. Um, you would have thought from an Arsenal perspective. Yeah. And like, if things are easy for you, if it's a slam dunk, your phone doesn't need to go quiet. I mean, it's not very confusing for you while you're on England duty if you're super excited about where you're going next. So never a good sign when it's like, uh, let's 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 see other people for a little while and then get <laughs> back together. Yeah, that was weird because um, you would imagine, I think there was a release clause that Arsenal activated and you would imagine that they would only have done that knowing or at least believing that the player would like to join and would like to come. Otherwise, you don't go through all the, the back channels and all the documentation and the, the legals and the preparation and the contracts and all that kind of stuff. You don't even go down that road until you've had the conversation with the agent, with um, uh, with the player, I guess, whether he's involved um face-to-face, -face, I don't quite know. But I remember Olivier Giroud talking about it. He he said, oh, I believe Jamie Vardy is going to come to us. That's great news for us. I believe we can be complementary. We can work together, etc., etc." Which, you know, is a situation, as I mentioned in one of the previous episodes, he's had to deal with pretty much every summer since he arrived at Arsenal in that, like, we tried to sign Luis Suarez. <laughs> we tried to sign Higuain. We tried to sign uh, Benzema. We tried to sign Jamie Vardy. 
summer after summer, we were always looking for another striker. But like you say, when it went quiet, when it went dead, there was only one way it was going to go. So either Leicester changed his mind with a great contract offer or he had some concerns about joining Arsenal, which I suppose in hindsight might not have been... (laughs) Might not have been, you know, misplaced, but the, um, the second nerve. But the it, nerve it is, I've thought about it a few times. Did he do like it's admirable in many ways, right? That he did, that he stuck with the club, and the, from what I remember on the reporting afterwards, like they offered him plenty of money or, or whatever. But mm. like Arsenal can always offer more money, yeah. Uh, and like, there's just no way we can't match and exceed. If he'd come back and said, well, they come back with this, we would have found a way to get him a bit more money. But like he stopped talking, right? So mm. they offered him more money and he was good with that. So he basically decided he wanted to stay where he was. Was that like, if you look at it, if you had his career at that point, I'm still trying to work out, was that the right thing to do? I mean, he... He could have actually been a difference maker maker at Arsenal, right? We didn't really find a solution for him. No, uh, we we didn't. Yeah. we didn't because it was was it the following? Yeah, it was the following summer we signed Lacazette, and then yeah. the following January we brought in Aubameyang, and we did of that course some. Yeah, yeah, we 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 signed a striker that summer, but it was really really late. Uh, Lucas Perez came in from Deportivo La Coruña and. You know, we, we'd done the Vardy thing in June. Like, we went all in pretty quickly. I mean, I think yeah. we had concerns and often did have concerns about the way Arsenal did business. It's like, we always leave it too late. So this proactive thing, for better or worse, we brought Granit Xhaka in and we brought him in without a great deal of fuss. Like, he was going to be there for preseason. He could settle in and learn how to get red cards in England, you know, right from the very start. And we were trying to do the same with Jamie Vardy. It was like, get him in June. He'll go to the Euros, come back off his holiday straight into preseason, and away you go. But it wasn't until the end of the end of August where we signed Lucas Perez. And by all accounts, scouting people told Arsene Wenger he's not really the the level that you need, not really the player you want. But at that point, we were so wound up about transfers that, well, they pulled the trigger. And like, I think Lucas Perez was an okay player. He had some good games, scored some decent goals for us, probably should have got a little bit more playing time than he did. But I don't think he was ever going to have the same impact, for example, that a Jamie Vardy could have had, as we've seen from what he's done at Leicester you know, year after year after year after that. That was, remember, the summer of 2016, and he's still chugging along, the little prick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's interesting. I, like, I absolutely detest him, but he's also absolutely great and exactly what you need in football, right? Those characters. Mm. Um, I despise all those penalties he's earned and and not earned, and yet... He just gets people in such a tangle in the box mm. that he's toying with them. And, you just, you know, what can you say? So, uh, yeah, what could have been for him and for us? I don't know. But I actually think, like, he could have put, he could have had a uh, Champions League career and so could have we with him. But there you go. There you go. Um, but it was a, quite a consequential summer. So we, we get Chaka. Yeah. We also get Mustafi. We, as you say, we move decisively. 
um, are, I think we're heavily using stats and uh, obviously scouting. Yeah. And they identify that Lucas Perez is a striker. So we sign him. Um, he's got that going for him. And then we're off to the races. The Once again, our season starts well. Um, we've got Santi Cazorla back in our midfield. We've got Coxorla cranking. Um, yeah, I love how you're turning this into like a Coquelin propaganda fucking outlet. It's amazing. <laughs> he's the, look, H2O. He's, he's only H, but you put him in H2O and it's wonderful. On sure. his own, H, what do you do with that? O oh, we appreciate oxygen. Yeah, that's great. That keeps us alive. What, what good is H to us? <laughs> so, uh, yes, I'm pushing for H2O. Uh, Cox Orla, because I do actually think I just his he's he pops on the pitch. He's okay, okay, he's like, okay. that's oh. fine. It's fine. We can move on. We can move on. <laughs> I mean, we 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 did. We, we need to talk about that that last signing that you mentioned, which again came towards the end of the window. But just to just to sort of put in context the start of the season, we lost. 4-3 to Liverpool on the opening day. We didn't have Koscielny. Gabriel Paulista had picked up an injury. Mertesacker had an injury in pre-season because, um, yeah, I think this was basically the injury that kept him out for the entire season right up until the FA Cup final in, in 2017. Um, so we played Rob Holding and Callum Chambers in uh, in central defense that day Aaron Ramsey picked up a hamstring strain which kept him out for for 3 months and I think it was Koscielny, Giroud and Ozil weren't playing because they'd been at the Euros they'd gone fairly deep into the Euros so Arsene Wenger was giving him uh, giving them a um, an extended break which is of course understandable we lost the first game drew the second game but I mean we went on a a run of maybe 15, 18 games there thereabouts until we were beaten by Southampton in the EFL Cup without losing a game. So from the 14th of August to the 30th of November, we did not lose a single game. And, and Shkodran Mustafi was part of the team and had come in and had done pretty well. Um, he was part of, part of that um, unbeaten run. And look, it's easy to to look good when the sun is shining and the um, sky is blue and the weather's warm and everything's hunky-dory. But when the tide begins to turn and you start to show your true colors a little bit, it's it's not quite as easy. So I don't want to turn this into a, like, as much as you turned it into a, um, an homage to Coquelin, I don't want to turn this into a complete burial of Mustafi. But, you know, given everything that happened, when you look back and see that we spent £35 million on this player, I mean, it's no wonder our scouting system needed some overhauling in the last little while. Uh, yeah, it was very consequential summer for what we didn't get and what we did get. Mm. Uh, Mustafi was a pick your number, three good games, one bad game, but the bad game kind of unsettled more than just himself. Another emergent property, right? It was like everybody got jittery. Yeah. I think it was a bit of the Almunia thing. What's it, the um, scientific uh, formula for piss, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you don't have know to that. Know. <laughs> <laughs> but it is an emergent property, I'm sure. So, yeah, but like we're rocking and rolling. I, we're, we're finding ways to survive Mustafi. Mm -hmm. And again, like I think we're doing pretty good. We have that Chelsea game early on. 
where I, uh, we beat, we twat them 3-0 and then they decide let's not play with four at the back, we'll play with three at the back. And then they yeah. go on a win of yeah. or a run of 14 games unbeaten yeah. after us. It's like crazy. Yeah. So it's like tackling Messi. You know, these guys go in with a really good tackle on Messi, but he doesn't quite go down. He kind of bounces mm. and then he's off and beats the rest of their team yeah. twice. And it's like, we did that with Leicester. We're like, oh, we've, we beat Leicester. We're back into this thing. Hang on while I get up off the ground. But Messi's like danced through the middle and yeah, yeah. scored it. And we did it with Chelsea. And like they're off to the races. And then slowly the season becomes kind of redundant. And like, so the Chelsea game was a big one. Mm. Um, but we had a hell of a midfield. Uh, I remember uh, Gary Neville que- questioning our midfield and whether Arsenal had what it took to be contenders. Uh, that was probably the season before against United, um, but Coxorla again. And this, again, was Cazorla. Like, we had Cazorla, and he was great, and he was wonderful. And we played really good football, and we did Alexis and Ozil, and they were in form, and they were making stuff happen. And you could believe, and it seemed like we had two halves to two seasons where we could really take it somewhere. And the mediocrity came in as soon as we kind of magically lost Cazorla in the midfield. Yeah. Well, we have to talk about that because it was a game against uh, Ludogratz in the Champions League on October 19th, 2016. Uh, A brilliant win for Arsenal, 6-0. But it turned out to be Santi's last ever appearance in in an Arsenal shirt. He had the the injury and the surgery and the complications from that surgery, which were just so serious. Um, and yeah, like it was really devast- up on it. Yeah, it, it was devastating for him and for his career. And if you remember as well, his his contract was up and Arsenal mm. extended his contract by a year, even though they knew he wasn't going to... He wasn't going to play. He probably wasn't going to come back. He probably wasn't going to come back to the level that you need at the Premier League. But, you know, he was away. He was back in Spain. He was rehabilitating. He had all these skin grafts. Um, it was, like, horrendous, uh, the infection he that he got there. operations. Oh, my goodness. He had, he had 15 – everybody has 15 centimeters of Achilles tendon. Uh, he had 10 of it eaten away by three different bacterial bugs. Jesus. He would wake up in the night with oozing wounds. So it's very graphic stuff. Yeah. So there's a really fascinating bit here. Uh, help me here. See if you can spot what I, I spotted. Okay. So he's had 10 operations. Um, they have to do this skin graft. So they have to take skin from one area. And actually, it's... Uh, he has a tattoo there of his daughter's name, India. Mm. And they graft some of that skin onto his ankle. And the like the detail, I'm not making this up. They move the letters I and A to his ankle. Now, India has five letters, right? Mm-hmm. And they moved I and A to his ankle. Anything come to mind here? That's right. They were playing Wordle. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Paul. Ten operations, Andrew. Why do you think there were ten operations? Because oh, it took them nine attempts. You only get six. You only get yeah. six. Early days. 
<laughs> yeah, so that's anyway, they, these surgeons were playing Wordle with each other. My God. I mean, when you think about the 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 seriousness of that, and there was there were questions about whether he would able to be well, not walk again, but whether he'd able uh, be able to run or even just kick a football around the back garden with his kid. All those things were in doubt. Um, and look, it was amazing, wasn't it, when he was able to get back and able to start playing again at Villarreal um, and able to... It was to, a beautiful thing. Yeah, it was yeah. a beautiful thing. I, I, Like they talked about the pain he played in, but I, but I don't think players feel that pain, pain apart from moments within a game. Imagine all the practices, though, you have to go to. Mm. With that bone in your, he had a bone in his ankle that he was suffering from for years, and then he's going through this process of training and training. They described uh, his heroic tra- um, recovery, which involved lots of sessions, but ended up with eating takeout on the the table at 11 p.m. Yeah, uh, which is basically how I would have done my recovery too. It didn't sound so heroic when they described it. I'd be like, that'd be me too. But like he just goes through this process. Uh, operation after operation, being told there's very, very little hope mm. that he'll ever play again. And uh, the little fella comes through and goes back to his, I guess, childhood club to play again, which is how it should be. Yeah. But unfortunately, uh, we don't have him for the rest of that season. It seems like our spark for both seasons. That's my take when I look at it. When we were great, when I was excited, we had plenty of good players. What we had was no fizzle in midfield. Even with Chaka coming in, yeah, um, we just didn't have a partner for Chaka that between the two of them that you had this exciting lit up midfield, and it just like we we good players around, but nobody that moved the needle. No, and after Ludogorets, after we lose Kazorla, you know, with Chelsea pulling away, they like they buried the season by basically Christmas, um kind of killed it off mm. and we couldn't find like you say we didn't have we didn't have the spark and we didn't have the ability to to change games um, particularly in the second half of the season but that is a conversation for another episode um, this has been 2016 Paul uh, really appreciate your time and thanks for uh, for going back over this with us pleasure thanks Andrew 
slash host. Paul is on Twitter at Poznan in my pants, at Poznan in my pants. <laughs> and of course, he is part of the Arsenal Vision podcast crew as well. So there you go. Conversation between two Dubliners done and dusted. We will move on to the next year for this one. Thank you very much for being here and we will catch you on the next one. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.